Hi, I'm Howard Tierski. Welcome to the Winning Digital Customers Podcast, where we focus on the stories of large-scale digital transformations told by the people who lead them. Hey, everybody. Welcome once again to the Winning Digital Customers Podcast. I have got a fantastic guest with me here today, and I know we're going to have a fascinating conversation. It is Nick Seraf, who's the Vice President of Digital Transformation and Customer Satisfaction at AutoZone. $10 $10 billion retailer of all things automotive. So if you're an auto guy or girl, like to repair your own vehicle or just need some windshield wipers, that's the place to go, I imagine. Prior to leading digital transformation at AutoZone, Nick was with Amazon. Prior to that, with DSW, the major, major footwear retailer. And he was with T-Mobile before that. So he's got extensive, extensive experience working in retail and direct-to-consumer and also Really an amazing pedigree of education. He's trained at Duke University, Columbia, and UPenn. So talk about collecting a whole bunch of impressive educational credentials as well. So I know he's going to have a lot to share with us. Nick, welcome. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Howard. Glad to be here. Anything you want to add for our viewers by way of your introduction or background? Yeah, when I think about it, the way you presented it doesn't look my own background. <laughs> Sounds like somebody else, right? <laughs> more generous. Oh, shucks. I didn't really do all those things, yeah. right? Yeah, I understand. I have so many questions to ask you, but let's just dive in on the state of retail today. It's an interesting time, right? I mean, on the one hand, retail was hard hit by COVID, but though some retailers, especially those with strong e-commerce, saw a huge surge. Now some people are starting to, to venture back into the stores, of course, depending on where you are in the world. What do you think is the state of retail today and the state of digital transformation in retail? Right. I think excellent uh, starting question here. You know, retail was kind of struggling or certain part of retail was struggling even before the pandemic, right? When you, when you talk about sort of fashion and apparel and in that industry, right? The Abercrombies and, and Express and, and, and the list goes on and on. And somewhere in there, a lot of these retailers realized we needed to invest in technology, right? And how do we make use technology to adapt to what customers expect, right? And the buzzword we heard 10 years ago, 15 years ago was omni-channel and really took off five, seven years ago and, and companies started investing in it to mix results, right? Some companies had sort of the runway where they could invest in technology and get things going. And some companies just ran out of time, right? The clock ran out. And we saw in the last three years, there's a long list of companies that couldn't survive it. I was in Columbus working at DSW, what, four and a half years ago, when we, we saw this happening, you know, playing in real time. Columbus is or used to be sort of the retail capital for the longest time, right? You have the Victoria's Secret, the L Branch, Cena Retail, and, and then obviously DSW and, and others. And among the names I just mentioned, so many of them sort of are struggling or have filed for bankruptcy, or, or in case of DSW, in fact, they're still doing quite well to look at the stock and their performance. So why do you think DSW has done well when so many other companies have faltered? I think one of the things is going back to, I think the original question is e-commerce. To make a pivot to e-commerce and make sure you capture the imagination of the customers or meet the customers where they're expecting you to meet. When I joined DSW, we had a mobile app. It was two and a half star rated. It was a catalog only app. You couldn't buy anything. 
And so those were kind of low-hanging fruits, and we put together a mobile app. And even now, I've been gone for more than two years. You know, that app is 4.8 star rated and, and became, you know, over 15% of our revenue mix. And you attract new set of customers, the existing customers. The power of footwear, the, the affinity, certain section of the customer base has a very strong affinity to footwear, right? And where these instant coupons or push notifications through mobile apps really move the needle when you, in terms of engagement for these customers. I think that was, that was one of the reasons. Overall, the, the business, I think there were other factors, right? The business is, has always been well run in terms of managing the cost and, and P&L and, and the books. And I think that plays a factor into that. But adopting the technology at not having to invest hundreds of millions of dollars or tens of millions of dollars even, uh, is also the key, is how do you exploit the technology without having to pay a huge price? And I think that is where you see, at least in some cases, the difference between the success and, and failure. Well, that tees up a follow-up question for sure, which I'm sure everyone would like to know. How do you get more, pay less? How do you successfully exploit the technology without having to make super large investments? Because that's an answer I'm sure everyone is poised to write down. Right. I think there, there are two aspects to it. In my opinion, those two aspects are the choice of technology. And the other aspect is people, the talent you have. And that is another important factor where I noticed when I first started at DSW or, or even at T-Mobile Sprint, technology was always a cost center. And so there was this model that sort of emerged in the 90s or became really popular in the 90s of outsourcing, right? Hey, let's, let's contract with the Infosys. IBM, Rose, or, yeah, right. IBM's right yeah. of the world. And in that process, there was this mentality created that we always got to figure out the cheapest way of doing things or cheapest per hour cost. And oftentimes we overlook the total cost we end up paying for it. The same work that can be done by if you hire really smart engineers by 10 people, having worked with Amazon and, and seen how that works, you could be spending 100, spending 100 engineers probably at the same cost and yeah. the outcomes are, are not similar. So that is one aspect of the equation. And, and you've seen companies like Home Depot, for example, uh, really invest in talent, bringing top-notch talent. Macy's trying to do that. This is my observation, looking at it from some distance, I guess, but uh, to mix results. So I think there is, there is a reckoning and, and there's awareness that they need to be doing that. Some of these companies, the way they have brought about cost savings is instead of outsourcing, you, you set up your own development shop in India or, or East Europe or Argentina or, or wherever that may be. And the other aspect is the platform, right? What is the best platform for you know, me as a company, for the customers that we're trying to serve or the use cases that we have? And my take on this is maybe different is there are no perfect products. It's the execution where uh, you know, rubber meets the road, right? And that is one area where I've seen companies fall short. They, they go to one solution and they say, hey, this is, was not a good solution. Let's, let's look at something else in three years. And, and they go to the next one. The further explanation of the point where I said, how much money are you really investing in technology? And what, what do you have to show for it? And I think that, is, that has been a pattern there. And a lot of the other companies, when you look at Target, even Home Depot, they decided to invest 
in building their own platforms. And they had a sort of a late start, late start by standards of Ebay's and Amazon's who were doing it in the 90s. And, and they started doing it fairly le- recently in the last decade or so. And the results are you know, outstanding, right? They speak for themselves. If you look at how well Target is doing through this pandemic or Home Depot, or even before the pandemic, they have really seemed to have figured out a model where the investments in technology have really paid off. And so there is this question for these retailers. Do you build and, and, and do you buy? And I think the, the probably the, the answer varies depending on you know, who you are. Yeah, very interesting. So if I were to summarize, I think what I hear you saying is the way to keep your costs low, get the maximum bang for the buck, so to speak, is build your own development teams, preferably in a less expensive labor market rather than outsourcing it. And in many cases anyway, or one trend you've seen is don't rely on big pieces of packaged software that are expensive that you may want to swap out a few years later, but build your own. And in that way, you can save money and potentially have, I'm guessing, a more unique, differentiated experience as well. Have I, have I summarized what you're saying correctly? Right. I think maybe I need to further qualify that. For large companies, that is an option. For a company, say, a size of DSW, $2 billion market cap, yeah. $2 billion in revenue, give or take, that is probably not an option, right? And so the first argument still stays true, right, which is build talent. There is never going to be a replacement for not having in-house talent or being too dependent on a vendor to tell you what the right solution. I think then use that talent to choose the right technology, the platform, and, and build on top of that. So I think there is a shift that has happened, but probably that is not an answer for every retailer out there. And for the smaller retailers, it's, it's to figure out, do we want a fully packaged solution that has all end-to-end functionality? Or do we buy, you know, have these frameworks now, right? A lot of them open source where you have core components are there and then you build, for example, solar as a search or elastic as a search. Right. You can buy and then you can add your own features to it or last, build everything from scratch. Even the big retailers, Home Depot, Target, right? They're operating in that middle, right? They do use some frameworks, some packet solutions, but they are really investing in, in creating custom development as well. That's interesting. And I've noticed this in, our, in my own work at my company, building ain't what it used to be. And I almost feel like build versus buy is no longer a black and white, but rather a kind of a continuum type decision. And increasingly with whether it's you know Angular, Node.js, these types of frameworks, frameworks are much more in-depth than they used to be. And then you layer on top of that using environments like AWS or others where you may be provided all kinds of cloud-based services. I don't mean that in a human sense, but technology services that you can start to tinker toy together. All of a sudden, the difference between I bought something versus I built it out of component parts. Because even when you buy something, inevitably, you wind up integrating it with a bunch of stuff too. So there's no true, I just bought it. Like like if I just bought a blender, I just plug it in and I start blending my stuff. Well, you know, that's never going to be the case when you have different catalog systems and different warehouse and, you know, order management systems that you have to connect to. And, you know, you're still going to wind up connecting it all. And that's kind of what you're doing too these days when you build, because you wind up not starting with a C prompt, but like taking a bunch of components, possibly open source and connecting together. So all of a sudden, Building and buying start to look a lot more similar than different in many ways. Do you agree with that, or do you think that there's still a more fundamental difference? Yeah, I think you you said it right. It's not build or buy; it's build, buy, and build. You're you're buying the components, 
the nuances of business, different retailers, different sectors of the economy, one solution is there's no way it can solve all your needs. So I think don't bet the house on a solution, bet the house on talent and then get a solution and let them figure it out what the mm -hmm. rest of the work mm -hmm. needs to be. Winning digital customers, the antidote to irrelevance has been called the must-have guide to saving your company and is available now for Kindle, Nook, and Apple Books, or in hardcover. Visit wdc.ht slash order to get your copy today. So can you maybe pick one of the companies that you've been with recently, either AutoZone or, or DSW or another, and tell us a little bit about the specifics of the choices you made. Like, what did you consider from a platform perspective and what did you actually wind up implementing? And in retrospect, do you think you made the right decisions? I know I've made many choices on projects where we picked certain packages. Sometimes if you ask me later, I would say, oh, that was great. I'm really glad I did this. And other times I'd be like, you know what? We made it work. But if I could go back in time, I might have made a different choice in terms of what approach architecturally we took. Anything you can share about the details? I can draw from an example at DSW where we acquired a company called Town Shoes in Canada. It's sort of a collection of four different brands. Town Shoes, Shoe Company, Shuko, uh, so on and so forth. And, and they had their e-commerce built on SAP. And we had our sort of e-commerce built on uh, Oracle ATG and, and Endeka. And so the, the question was, hey, we do we leave them as is? What, what is the cost of continuing to have a team that just supports that? Uh, what do we do essentially, right? And where we zeroed in on was sort of the multi-tenant framework for an e-commerce made most popular by Gap, right? Where you have Gap, Old Navy running on the single e-commerce engine in the back end. But on the front end, from a user experience point of view, you get these different experiences. This example may be controversial because Oracle, as a product, it draws strong opinions in people, right? In our sort of journey was we decided, okay, we, we needed to migrate them onto our platform, the DSW.com, which is run on uh, Oracle ATG. Leading up to that point, we had made a lot of investments in bringing a lot of good talent. And so having done that, you know, made that overall transition from SAP to an Oracle solution was quite easy. You know, you've probably spoken to or worked with a lot of retailers where building a new e-commerce solution from scratch can be years worth of endeavor. And I think in that particular scenario, I think it took us eight to nine months for that from start to finish. And I think that was one example where we said, okay, well, we're just gonna go with the build mentality and, and use our intelligence and knowledge about the, the product and try to make it work for a different brand we had acquired. What do you think about cloud-based platforms for retailers? Obviously Shopify, you know, the 10 million pound gorilla in that space and a lot of smaller, even smaller than DSW, but a lot of smaller retailers around a Shopify or a Magento. Do you think that that's the future and that we're going to see those kinds of platforms moving up, up, up in terms of larger and larger retailers? Or do you feel like that's more of a long-term strategy for the middle market and we're going to see big retailers continue to kind of run their own data center operations to kind of own the whole end-to-end, -end, not go to, per se, the cloud? Right. I think when you look at Shopify, it's a great example, right? And a big commerce, another one based out of Austin here, where I live. They have really done a good job of capturing this middle tier market. 
retailers that do, I don't know, 5 million to whatever million, right? You can even put a number 500 million or, or so. And I think the, the way I see this ecosystem play out and the reason I think they may not be so successful capturing the big retailers, and I may be wrong over the long term, is because how the sales cycles work. How do you engage and, and how long does it take to convince uh, a retailer to buy or their product unless somebody already has decided, hey, I want to be on Shopify or something. And that's that's not how, at least initially, and, and things may have changed, these companies were not set up like that. They were set up for smaller players to say, hey, have your own little uh, retail store online. Get a free trial. You know. Free trial. And, 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 and your catalog process. in, start selling, right? Right. right. But to your other point about cloud, right, I think that is another thing which I feel strongly about. Retailers should not be an infrastructure business. There is no reason for us to have, uh, or retailers in general, to have our own data center. And that is where, you know, at AutoZone, we're looking at, okay, what is our cloud strategy, right? What do we, how do we migrate and how do we then migrate and as a step function and, and not try to do all at once? Now, I'm curious, as retailers start to think about moving their own operations to the cloud, I hear, and I'm curious if this is your sense, that a lot of retail organizations don't look closely at AWS. They almost look for any cloud solution but AWS because of their animosity towards Amazon as a retailer, which is, of course, quite separate from their cloud computing business, but there's this sort of corporate animosity. Certainly, I don't speak to all retailers, but that is a a pattern I've seen across a number of major retailers. I'm curious, is that just my sample or do you observe that as well in the industry that there's a anyone but Amazon mindset when it comes to technology? Yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head, right? I think that is the case. It is not only that the retailers do not want to be on the cloud, they do not want their partners, people who they do business with. Their preference is that as long as you are hosted on Azure or, or a, a Google Cloud, we're, we're happy campers and we'd like to do business with you. My opinion of that, and, and maybe a little bit controversial, is retailers shouldn't think about AWS as a competitor. Amazon as a company is built on technology, and it's not going to be easy for any retailers to really compete with Amazon from a technology point of view. On the other hand, if you can gain certain advantage, because AWS is still sort of the biggest suite of products that are offered, right, is, is still that uh, cloud provider compared very to- Very mature GCP. platform, yeah. Right, very mature platform. And so I think you should look at your competitors and what will give you an edge over your competitors other than Amazon. Beyond that, right, I think using one of the Amazon's leadership principle, customer obsession, you got to look at your customer. Don't look at competitors even and figure out what gives you the best opportunity to serve your customers the best, even if it means feeding the beast. And so I think there are, there are strong opinions about that in my own organization, in the previous organizations uh, that I was part of. And I have been successful in articulating that at, at times. Uh, more often than not, I was not. Well, I think it's as emotional as it is rational as a point of resistance. So you can have all your arguments, but people are like, yeah, yeah, I agree with everything you say, but I'm not giving one cent to Amazon. <laughs> not everybody feels that way, but I've certainly seen that, that mindset. So. Yeah, I think you're exactly right because Amazon has been the player that has been any sector of sort of the retail, right? Or any segment of the retail. Right. Amazon is one player that has been capturing 
the the, the market, right? And 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 so it is the biggest threat, existential yeah. threat, uh, to these uh, retailers. So I want to go back to two things you said earlier and pull them together and ask your thoughts. So you mentioned how you thought that most retailers shouldn't be running their own infrastructure because they, they're not in the technology business. Uh, at the same time, I, I know you're encouraging that retailers should at least seriously consider running their own development teams and even building their own software, at least as a viable alternative. And that phrase, we're not a technology company, you know, I hear thrown around in a lot of contexts. And certainly I think there are retailers who would say, well, the we're not a technology company catchphrase is the reason why we don't want to build our own software too much, why we don't necessarily want our own development teams. We're in the merchandising business. We're in the marketing business. We're, we're not in the technology business. The more of this technology we can get out of our organization to best you know, experts, the better. Clearly, that's not consistent with what you're re recommending. And so I'm just wondering, it, it kind of goes to where's the line when you say, well, I'm willing to be this much of a technology company, but I don't want to be this much of a technology company. So any thoughts about how to gauge that and also how to respond if you're trying to push for more talent in your own organization, for example, and you get that pushback from a CFO or a COO or a CEO or a board that says, are we trying to become a technology company? Aren't we a retailer? What's a good way of responding to that? I think this is an excellent question, right? And I think this is where we, we can draw some lines and, and nuances around uh, what I meant by some of the previous statements I made. When you think of technology, there is infrastructure and then there is a set of applications running, right? Which is HR, payroll for stores, there is a, there is a time card or, or and then supply chain and, and digital and, and so on and so forth. And the argument I was making earlier, investing in your own technology is, or in building your, having your own talent, right? Or, you know, making some investments there was partly driven by things that are key to the business. When I think about e-commerce, that's where the shift has happened. It is essential. Oftentimes, the first interaction the customer has with you as a brand. And so that is one area which you don't want to outsource to somebody else. On the other hand of the spectrum is infrastructure. It is just a set of servers which can be in my own data center. If I'm AutoZone, it can be in Memphis, which is where we're headquartered, or it can be in the cloud or distributor, you know. And for that reason, that has really no bearing on the features and the products and the experience we're trying to create for the end customers. And the rest of the systems, closer to infrastructure is your payroll, your HR, your recruiting, and all those systems where, again, who cares if, if it's not perfect, as long as I get my check once every two weeks. And closer to that e-commerce is supply chain and the distribution, because that is an important aspect of customer satisfaction and fulfillment and, and whatnot. It's sort of a spectrum. On one end, I see infrastructure. On other end, you know, you see e-commerce, loyalty, marketing technology, and in between are these other things that probably uh, paints that picture. Yeah, clearly. I think that's a great litmus test. You ask, where do we really want to differentiate as a business? If right. we say, you know what, we're going to do our accounting the same as all of our competitors, and that's not a problem, and that may be fine. You know, why do you have to be unique in how you do your accounting? Then you can run a finance system that's just out of the box. Whereas if you're trying to differentiate on the customer shopping experience in digital, then you better be owning that and having the talent and the tools that you can control because that's how you're going to differentiate. I think that's a very strong kind of business oriented argument. I like it. 
Can't get enough of winning digital customers? You can find even more content and video versions of the podcast episodes on our YouTube channel. Visit wdc.ht slash YouTube to subscribe. Yeah, if I may add, right, one of the great examples of building our own technology, which you don't hear even from the most successful retailers, is point of sale. Uh, AutoZone decided to build its own point of sale back in the 90s. And it's gone through, you know, different iterations in life, but it is a homegrown system and it works well. And, you know, if you do the math, we have saved probably hundreds of millions of dollars in those 20, 25 years where we decided we're going to build our own and we're going to support it and continue to invest in it. And that's sort of another great example of figuring things out internally. And if, if you can do it, why not? Yeah. Well, let me turn us to one final topic as our, our time, unfortunately, is running short. This has been fascinating. I'm curious about digital transformation in a, I don't want to say a post-COVID era yet. I mean, I wish it was post-COVID, but whatever you want to call where we are now, we're kind of in the later stages of COVID in a kind of a transition, hopefully maybe a slow transition. I'm curious, there's no question that COVID had huge impact on retail and drove, no doubt, many retailers to have to rush certain digital projects, for example, you know, curbside pickup. I'm curious how much of what has happened during COVID is going to sort of be retained? How much of it is temporary dealing with an emergency? And before long, we're just going to get rid of all that stuff and kind of continue from where we were, you know, at that same pace of moving forward? Or how has our year and a half of COVID changed our 10-year trajectory of digital transformation in retail? There are two points I want to touch here. One is there were certain things where e-commerce wasn't really in the forefront, right? It was a secondary thought, grocery being one example, mm -hmm. right? Which is where I worked uh, when I was at uh, Amazon, part of Whole Foods. And overnight, as soon as the pandemic hit, we see uh, orders coming in from remote part of the country where, uh, you know, there wasn't much e-commerce to begin with. And, and so I think there has been that adoption of e-commerce for certain product categories uh, or certain segments of retail and that acceleration has happened because of COVID and it may taper off, but it's not going to go down is sort of my read of the scenario. The other aspect of that is the distribution, the delivery. Pandemic made most of the retailers think about how do we optimize delivery, right? Same day delivery by online pickup in store, which, which existed before, but I think the same day delivery has become sort of the new normal, right? Everybody's expecting it. Amazon championed it and people said, how is it going to be possible? And, and if you look around, hey, everybody else is doing it now, right? They, they figured it out. They accelerated their innovation, partnership with three third parties. At AutoZone, we have our own same day delivery in, in certain markets that we're testing out right now. I think Miami is one and, and Vegas is one. And and depending on on the outcome, uh, you know, we're, we'll take further steps. But it's it's happening everywhere, and I think that is another aspect which got accelerated, and in my mind is here to stay. Absolutely, I agree with all that. This has been fantastic. I thank you so much for all your thoughts and insights, and for joining us. Is there anywhere you want to direct people if people want to learn more about you or connect with you or anything? What's the best place for them to go or do, or or do you just want them to go to AutoZone.com and? pay for their next oil change or whatever. Yeah, I think they should go to AutoZone.com. It's a good place to uh, you know, buy your batteries and wipers. And most of the places we have next to delivery and, and certain markets, we have same day delivery. 
But beyond that, I think my biggest observation of the last decade being in retail is hire the bright and the bright, you know, the brightest and the smartest. And don't be afraid to make investments in technology. That could be the differentiator uh, in the end. Nice. Those are great words to end on. Nick, thank you so much for being here. And to all of you listening and watching, thank you, as always, for joining us on Winning Digital Customers. Look forward to seeing everybody next time. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Winning Digital Customers, the podcast. Find more great episodes at wdcpodcast.captivate.fm, on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Overcast, or wherever you listen. And visit winningdigitalcustomers.com to learn more about the Wall Street Journal bestselling book that inspired the podcast.